In this episode, we take a look at the module Heseret's Treasure with its creator Matt Eager and Mr. Pickles, the player behind Bartleby Fumus. And I explain how I deal with sorcerers in our current ODES campaign. Welcome to the Mithras Matters podcast, season one, episode five. It's all about the treasure. Welcome to the Mithras Matters podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Mithras rule set and all its supplements. As always, I'm your host, In Wills, and I have to say I am somewhat impressed that I've managed to get to episode five of this podcast. I wasn't sure how this podcast would progress, but there appears to be a real stoic bunch of you who are coming back month after month to listen in. So thanks so much for your support. Okay, last month I put some feelers out to see if anyone would be willing to contribute to the podcast, whether this would be through reviews, interviews or just ideas and or concepts. As of yet, no one has stepped forward, but I am thinking that you are all probably on vacation enjoying the summer nights. I'm definitely awaiting the wet and windy approach of autumn when we will be able to gather once again round our gaming tables and platforms to enjoy some good old role playing. If you would like to contribute to the podcast, then just drop me an email or message and let me know what you would like to cover. You can email me at inwills at gmail.com or send me a message on the various forums which I frequent. When designing adventures for my group, I often fluctuate between making up my own adventures and using published ones. Currently, in our extra summer session of RPGing, the players are role-playing the 1980 secret agent slash special ops characters, investigating a deserted Russian research station in the Arctic. This is, of course, the module White Death, and I'll be providing a review of this in the future. But one of the bought modules which we played in our fantasy setting was Heseret's Treasure, and I was lucky enough to arrange an interview with its creator, Matt Eager, and for company, I brought Mr. Pickles along as well, the player responsible for the moon-worshipping theist, Bartleby Fumus, in our Odess campaign. Now, don't worry, we if you haven't played the module yet, we steered away from any spoilers. I'm joined today by Mr. Pickles and Matt, who um, is the creator. I, I noticed, Matt, it says on the front of the things, Matthew and friends. <laughs> this is, I'm really interested. Was there a list of friends that you had to name or was it? <laughs> That's a design mechanism thing. I think it um, stems from older editions of RuneQuest. I, back when it was at Chaosium, I think they used to write that at the bottom of everyone. 
Right, Gothia. Because I just wondered whether or not there was a massive list that there was too many to fit in and whether or not it was a sort, let's be as inclusive as we possibly can and just put and friends, which I thought was nice. I thought it was really nice. So um, we have played Hazard's Treasure and really enjoyed the module uh, or the adventure to the nth degree it lasted a huge amount of time and i adapted it slightly to fit into our campaign but of course my, my first question was what was the inspiration for hazard's treasure what what was it that sort of like set it off um well first of all the the version that you played that is published is very different from the one that started off in my brain um and uh for that, I have to thank uh, Lawrence Whitaker Laws yeah. and um, uh, the other editor we had, Carol, who really did a terrific job helping me. This is my first go, and you know, I really didn't know what I was doing. And uh, they, of course, gave excellent suggestions and and input, and really helped to shape it strongly. Right. Um, this was an adventure that I had played a long time ago, and. I was interested in writing for Design Mechanism when they were first putting out RuneQuest 6, as it was known then. And so I contacted Laws and I, uh, you know, asked him if he was in the mood for a submission. I submitted it. He trashed it because it was lousy. <laughs> wow. As, as he should have. <laughs> and then, um, and then we got to real work and, uh, it, it, got shaped and reshaped and reshaped. And after, after many cycles, uh, it came out the way you see it there. Fantastic. So was it uh, my, an actual adventure that you played in your own campaign that you adapted then? Yes, yes, I GM'd a version of this adventure. Um, most of the main things were still there, although a lot of the good stuff got amplified and recast as, uh, as we went along writing it. I must admit it, it, it was very complete um, as a GM, um, oh, GMing it. I, there was so much in it. When I'm sort of like prepping for an adventure, a lot of the times I think, oh, I need that, I need that. But I just found that everything was there, including sort of like how to virtually play the NPCs. D did you come up with all the NPCs ideas as well yourself? Yeah, those are mine. Uh, that's one of the things I like best about writing adventures is doing the characters. Right. And that, Mr. Pickles, how did you think those characters came across while you were actually playing? I'd say the, I looked at my notes for, for the sessions that we did, and there's a lot of paranoia in this writing. The characters you wrote and how Pickles <laughs> played them made me very uncertain at every stage. I even had a comparison of the the groups and, and what I thought of them and who I felt most about dealing with. And it was a perfect gray area for me playing a theist character. It, it had that feeling that you could trust nobody. There, there wasn't somebody who sort of like stood out. Oh, that is the person to trust. And, and all of a sudden you might suddenly think, oh, I quite, I, I'm going with that person, but find that the rest of the players totally disagree or they do something <laughs> i know one of the characters or npcs that i really enjoyed playing were the the urchins 
in, <laughs> in, in, in the in the town. And where did the idea from those come from, Matt? I have to admit, um, I went back over my notes uh, in preparation, and it was it was buried in some revision there. I'm not sure whose idea the urchins were. I think I mentioned them as a throwaway line it, at one point, and then Carol, our editor, said, uh, "Why don't you tell me more about that?" I think that's how it went. Right. So then I added a you know a sidebar for it, and and I think that they they almost like became an integral part of the the adventure and became an, another element of. Do you trust these people? Do you not trust these people? Which I thought was fantastic. What What about the actual setting? Um, the actual sort of like part of the continent? Because I I put it at the far um, northwest of mine. Was there a set place that it was um, going to happen? It It doesn't really matter that much. It needs to be the frontier. In that sense, going back to inspiration. It has been pointed out to me in retrospect that maybe I had like a spaghetti Western in mind when I wrote this. Um, that's the kind of gritty frontier town that you uh, you might picture for this. Uh, but um, in terms of the the map I had in mind, I we decided to set it in the realm. It was meant to be a, a supporting adventure to kind of go along with Book of Quests if you wanted it to. Yes, but it could stand on its own, and so it is. Um, it is on the other side of the river from uh, the North Vale, where most of the action in that book of quests uh, campaign yeah. takes place. It was a good place to put like random barbarian tribes and stuff like that, and maybe some very old things that had gone missing for a long time. Because Advent, I think that's the town, isn't it? Right. It, it's, right. It, for me, it had that feeling of a frontier town that, you know, things had happened in the past and they were sort of like pulling themselves back up. Very much like a spaghetti western. I don't know who suggested that, but it, it really has that sort of like feeling. What about a player, uh, Mr. Pickles? How did you feel about the town of Advent? I kind of realized I was not really intentionally, subconsciously imagining saloon-type buildings. Um, I'm not sure if that's how you described it, but in my mind, I remember there being like saloons and, and the, the there was a particular rich character that just had that kind of Wild West, rich person living on the frontier sort of vibe. And yeah, yeah, the, the urchins were part of that paranoia, the, the lifeblood of the paranoia in that town. Always there, <laughs> doing things. And, and I think being divisive. Yeah. And also on that borderline that they essentially are children. So you don't feel you can actually engage with them. I kill them or hit them or anything. They and I, I yeah. use them very much as a, a prod, if that makes sense. It's sort of like, right. It's sort of like keep coming back and weaving that intrigue around them. I was going to say, I think that people coming from a and d background might have a difficult time with this scenario because, yeah, these NPCs are neither tools to be used, nor are they people you can just kill and loot. Uh, you you yeah. really have to deal with them in some creative manner. That That was the idea. Yeah, and I think that really comes across as I was um, GMing the game. It was the module. It was very much there. There wasn't. It wasn't uh, a combat, or you, you had to be creative how you dealt with them. And I think that also brought in a lot of 
different reaction from the actual uh, players. What did you think, Mr. Pickles, about interacting with the urchins? Can you remember back then? I, I remember in particularly, it, it worked because uh, Gulliver's sort of our streetwise sorcerer. Mm. So he had a lot to do with working with the, the urchins and trying to keep tabs on them, right. which helped for the rest of us. But it was, it's kind of apparent all you can do is keep tabs on them. Yeah. Um, or try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just, you assume you're succeeding sometimes, even when you're not really. Um, I should say that I watched your uh, video series on the <laughs> website from when you played. I enjoyed it quite a bit. It was good. Fantastic. I'm glad that that's positive. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I think it, I don't think the, uh, the players um, knew they were going through a module at that point. I think they were, it was just sort of like how I, and I'm not even sure that they realize that they're going through the books of quests at the moment. So it's also like pre-made at the moment. Aha. Uh -huh. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Mr. Pickles might be really disappointed now, but yeah, but I, <laughs> I really liked the NPCs in there. And I, Matt, Thank I wonder you. whether or not you had a favorite, a favorite NPC. I know I did. Uh, but I was going to come to you. Did you have a, a, when you were creating it, was there an NPC that really sort of like stuck out for you? Well, I don't know. There are four of them. I think maybe, maybe Tobias was my favorite, but it's really hard to say. It might have been Finial. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I thought that of all of the NPCs, she might be the one that gave the characters the most to wonder about. The, the really, the one who they wondered if they could trust. Is that what came across, Mr. Pickles? Or did you... Yeah, I'm looking at my, my paperwork right now. She was the one with the most scribbles of, I think we should trust her. I don't trust her. She's doing these things that are nice, but she's also kind of hmm, dangerous and she could just kill us. And uh, But then comparing to Tobias, it, it, was, it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun I, comparing them. I think Finial is probably my favorite of the NPCs yeah. in that adventure. I must admit, I enjoyed playing Tobias. Uh, I thought I really liked his personality and everything. And he, he seemed so much, he had su such a nice side of him and yet such a not so nice side, like all of them had, you know. But I, I really liked sort of like engaging. Um, he, he almost like has that deep... Uh, he, well, he's not devious. He, he's manipulative, I think, which I, oh, yeah. I, really, yeah, I really, really enjoyed that and sort of like using him to manipulate the party or even better, certain characters, uh, certain players in the party. So, Matt, you, you mentioned about um, the procedure, uh, you know, that you went through to actually get this module live and out there. Mm -hmm. So what, what were the challenges? What were the challenges to make something like Hazard's Treasure? Well, there was the general uh, running in sort of stuff that you have when you are when you're trying to meet someone else's specifications and requirements, guidelines. Uh, so I had to learn what design mechanism really wanted out of you know adventure writing. I I thought I understood it from from reading what they had posted online and the um, the handout that they give you when you first come on board. And um, so I was a little bit proud of draft number one. And then it came back with red ink all over it. And I know I, I've done that to people too, so I, I totally get it. But it was funny being on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And then I began to really grok what was going on (laughs) in a a better way. And so then it got easier and more productive after that. But there was there were a lot of iterations. Um, And looking back on it, I think that's pretty natural. Mm. It was it was a little bit frustrating at the time. But um, Laws was very patient, which helped a lot. And so I can only I can only give him highest praise for for helping to to see this through and everything. It was um, a labor of love, yeah. <laughs> as all these things are. How, how and I was it? really pleased with it at the end. How long did it take from beginning to end? Months, months. months. Um, I, I'd have to go back and look over my uh, my my records. It was probably the better part of a year i don't think it was less than nine months i mean and that's given the fact that in the beginning i started with an adventure that was fleshed out enough to be played but it got it got really reworked (laughs) yeah to the bad is it better than the original one or oh yeah incomparably better the one thing i really like about it is the the background material you know, oh. to do with the history and what's gone on and what's been going on in the area. And I think as a GM, that really gave me a good feel um, for the area. And reading it really allowed me to sort of like connect certain parts of the adventure to together, you know. And, and I think that it comes a lot out a lot in design mechanisms um, products. There's always this this no it's not emphasis it's it's this detail um on the historical side of it i've just been um i don't know if you've read um codyfoot's um stipule and i have not uh, this has come out for the lioness line i think that's right campaign and there again i spend a lot of time just reading it a bit like a like a story and getting really involved in it so would you would you do one for something like roll 20 or fantasy grounds would you do something for electronic version like that um that's a great idea i had not thought about it but i mean the hasar's treasure is design mechanisms property so you're gonna have to talk to laws yeah. <laughs> well that's it yeah that's interesting now because i presume is that so are you creating anything at the moment are you going on to create a different module or a different adventure uh, yeah, right now my efforts are in uh, my little company, Old Bones Publishing. Nice. Um, so we've published uh, three scenarios and a, several game aids, small pieces. And right now I'm working on a fourth scenario. And real life has gotten in the way, so it's going slower than <laughs> I hoped for. But I, I do like it. Um, I do like it a lot. It's called Enemy of My Enemy. And it's uh, it's... It's about two two peoples who have um, who find themselves in some puzzling circumstances, and they they live sort of side by side with each other, not not really interacting much, always kind of threatening each other. So it's like two scorpions in a bottle, oh. right? <laughs> and um, they they come to a situation where they have to deal with each other, and Brilliant. so. 
this is uh, this is part of the charm of the setup is that maybe it's a little bit like Hassard's treasure now that you mention it. I mean, yeah. these two groups that have to deal with each other because they have a common goal. The common goal is rather different in this case, and it has much more serious implications for both peoples. And the game is the game is really meant to be an exploration of prejudice to some degree. So, I mean, it's it's not just a, you know, a, 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 a loot and dash kind of adventure. Yeah. It's it's got a bit more to it and it could be very dark depending on your group. Is it a so, fantasy setting then? Is it a fantasy setting? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Fantastic. That's right. So that's that's my teaser for you. Yeah. Uh, hopefully no, by the end of the year. By the end of the year. I I, I hear hopefully. so many new adventures or supplements coming out. I had Alex talking about Furuchita mm -hmm. and um Chris and Paul were on this month's podcast uh or um August's podcast talking about um, Mythic Babylon, which yes, sounds, very exciting, <laughs> you know, unbelievable. And I, I, I mentioned it in this week's uh, month's podcast. I don't think I have enough time or enough players to actually run all these campaigns that I've actually want to get involved in. So, right, what what advice? And I'm going to come to Mr. Pickles as well, Mr. Pickles from a player's point of view, and you matt from the creator what advice would you give to somebody who's running this adventure you first mr Pickle. as a player uh, <laughs> um i didn't know this question would be at me i think what worked well was that that two scorpions in a bottle kind of situation was something believable and and real and playing the characters naturally and i i think i i felt that it worked well as sort of a sandbox for the initial town segment just letting the players look about where they want to go. Uh, you gave us uh, like seven seven big areas that I, I wrote down. So is looking around different areas and piecing things together while the DM is or GM is is giving you uh, little bits and clues. Just trying to figure out what's happening is part of the big fun that I had. What about you, Matt? What advice would you give to somebody coming to the adventure? Advice for players, I would say you you really have to give some, well, it's what we've talked about already, really. You really have to give some thought about who you're going to trust and realize something that maybe you haven't experienced before in place that this idea might change yeah. as you're going along, you know? And so even if you're backing one horse in the beginning, your opinion might change later on dramatically uh, through things that you have no control over at all. Um, as for the GM, uh, read up on the backgrounds, like like I'm sure you did, because you really um, mm. seemed to keep the NPCs straight, which was good. I When I write adventures, I write it with the intent that the GM is going to have to do some work. Uh, it's going to, especially with keeping the characters straight, not because they're so poorly defined that they might be confusing, but there, there's a lot of little stuff that hopefully will help you, but you have to remember it. So yeah. always read the adventure a couple of times through, make your notes, think about how you want to portray these characters, and then, yeah, keep the tension stoked high. And I, and I think from a, a GM, my advice would really be that I spent a lot of time I sort of like read about the NPCs and then spent a lot of time trying to 
almost like like an actor trying to think about how they interact each other how what right. is written down on the paper actually could be portrayed in the actual session you know and making that distinction between not only the voices but the way they speak and and their their vocabulary and really sort of like i i felt that when i started to dm gm it i knew those characters and so hopefully Great. that was then portrayed across and I, I i do agree completely you know be open-minded you'll probably find yourself going in one direction and then suddenly <laughs> change into a completely different one so what would be your advice for anybody who would like to there might be people listening to the podcast thinking i would really like to create a module um like this for design mechanisms what what would be your advice matt since you've done it now you've done it mm. uh my advice would be go for it you too can do this although it might be 10 times as much work as you think at first uh, the people you're going to end up dealing with are very knowledgeable and very helpful. So as long as you're willing to take the advice and some constructive criticism, which, you know, can be a little weird for people first mm -hmm. coming to this sort of endeavor, but just stick with it, work hard, keep going and listen to what laws and company have to tell you. And I think, uh, you can, really arrive at a satisfactory result i'm i'm very proud of that little adventure so now i have it you know yeah. as long as people play mithras that thing will be out there somewhere yeah and I, and i for i found it really helpful as well coming new to mithras actually mm -hmm. playing it you know because everything's there you know it, it actually says on the front a complete adventure for mithras and it is everything you could possibly need is there you know and it's fantastic so okay then so just to finish off the interview i like to just ask some random questions which you both can answer <laughs> and so first question first is what's your favorite role-playing game yeah you don't have to say mithras at this point <laughs> favorite role-playing game I can honestly say Mithras. Um, yeah. I'm also partial to Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. <laughs> I've not I've not played Savage Worlds, but um, I think that that might have some charm to it too. My personal favorite for running as a DM is uh, Mongoose's Traveler. That's mm. it's just simple, mm. generic sci-fi fun. Uh, I love it a lot. But I, as a player, I've I've I like Mithras a lot more than than um, traditional fifth edition D and D. Mm. Um, because I, I also played Call of Cthulhu a bit. I love the D percent rolling. Yeah. Makes more sense to me. Okay, then. So what's your favorite class or style of playing? You know, when you're down there and you're about to roll up a character to play, what, what sort of like character do you go for? Mr. Pickles, you can go first. I love anybody that can help the, help the group. I like bards and wizards and clerics. Uh, anybody that's not really in the thick of things, because I, I would hate to play a rogue. I'm not a sneaky, stealthy, <laughs> mischievous person. It's interesting. I like to try different things. Oh, I don't like to play um, a, a tank or a brute force fighter. I like to play 
uh, well, kind of rogues that you don't like, Mr. Pickle, but uh, um, I, I, like, I like characters that are uh, schemers and thinkers, and they also, you know, they'll mix it up for sure, but mm. not heavily armored, you know, not you kill somebody in one stroke necessarily, but people yeah. who can get the job done, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, two more. Uh, favorite novel? Jeez, now you've asked me, it just flew out of my head. Um, John Steinbeck of Mice and Men. I've not read that it. Is like a, that is like a perfect book. It's short, but <laughs> everything is in there. Fantastic. But everything is in there. <laughs> uh, I had to think about this for a while. Um, Stephen King's Misery is the book that I felt oh. the most physically. That, that book, it, I read it during high school in class, but it was still just... It was. It's my favorite of all time. And final one. What's your favorite takeout meal, or pizza, or whatever? What What's your go-to when you're going out and you're just grabbing that takeaway food? What What's your go-to food to get? Uh, there's so many, so many. Uh, I don't know. Pad Thai and spring rolls. Uh, it's classic. Never, yeah, <laughs> never had that. <laughs> oh, I've clearly deluded you then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'm sort of like a, a vegetarian. I'm virtually vegan, so I, I, going huh? out for me is is not a good plan unless you go into a vegan restaurant because there Ooh. there tends to be so much dairy products all over the place. It, it, Chana Pindi. Yeah, I don't even I don't even know what it is. Oh, it's uh, it's chickpeas, chickpeas, and uh, and uh, uh, I don't think there's any cream in the sauce, but I think you'd be served with served well by uh, food from the subcontinent. There, you'd yeah. be doing all right. I do all right. <laughs> what about you, Mr. Pickles? What's your favorite takeout meal? I would have to go with classic cheese pizza, crushed red peppers and basil and garlic all over it, mm -hmm. wow. and extra yep. cheese everywhere. Thin crust or thick crust or stuffed crust? I go for pan pizzas generally like a right. fluffy crust with tons of structure oh, sacrilege. <laughs> <laughs> i'm from new york so <laughs> Does that, is that i mean i'm not against thin pizza i'm just <laughs> it's fine <laughs> well it's been fantastic talking to both of you, but especially you, Matt. I would highly recommend this module to anybody. Um, I think it's absolutely fantastic. And it certainly gave myself and the players um, hours of intrigue and, and fun right way up to the bitter end. Uh, I was, just, uh, and I, I, if you haven't played it, it's well worth going out and, and buying it. So thank you to you both for joining me um, in this interview. I hope um, you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Uh, thanks, Inwills. It's been, it's been great. I appreciate it. Fantastic. Right. Thanks for having me on again. Again, yeah. You, you're becoming a regular. <laughs> yeah, you're a frequent flyer. I do recommend having a go with the module. I think I'm becoming famous for mispronouncing words, so I'm not going to embarrass myself by trying to say the title of the module again, but you can buy Matt's module from the Design Mechanism website for $5.99, I think, or Eon Games for £9.99. I'll put a link to both of these sites in the show notes. 
I hope you liked those questions at the end of the interview today. I think it really gives us an insight into the people who are participating. Plus, it's a bit of fun. Now, talking about an insight, I wanted to add a section to this podcast when I start to share with you um, the campaign world of Odess in which my players currently adventure. I always find it helpful when people share ideas with me. So hopefully you will find having an insight into my campaign helpful and interesting as well. I was a great fan of the Dragonlance books. I'm not too sure whether or not you remember them, but although I never actually ran a Dragonlance campaign, I really liked how the mages were organized into the robed orders. And this was definitely the foundation for the orders of the sorcery within my own campaign. Now, sorcery, I think, is extremely powerful. So I included the fact that whenever a soul is born into the world, they have and if they possess the power to wield the sorcery magic, then they have to join one of the four orders. This not only provided orders for the players to join, but also allowed me to have a storyline involving a renegade wizard if I ever wanted one. Now, in the Odess campaign, there's four orders identified by colour and animal. Each order then focuses on a particular group of spells. I took those from the core rulebook. So the order of the Kraken, or the Blue Orders, these are sorcerers who are masters of communication, transportation and teleportation. This is the order which Gulliver belongs to in the campaign. However, there is uh, another group of um, sorcerers, the Order of the Phoenix, or the Red Order, and these can be identified as battle mages, having all the powerful um, damage hitting spells at their disposal. Members of the White or Dragon Order specialize in healing and protection. And finally, the Black or the Order of the Lich. These do not necessarily deal with necromancy, but shall we just say they use less pure ways to meet their aims. Now, the all the sorcerers are ruled over by the Council of the Orders who have representatives from each order and elect an overall leader every three years. Currently, the leader is from the White Order or the Dragon Order. And if you were listening into the campaign, you might know that she has just been assassinated. So, yeah, if you would like to read any more about the orders or sorcerers on Odess, then you can check them out on my website, inwills.co.uk, which also includes the spells which are in each order's repertoire. I hope that gives you a bit of an insight into an aspect of my campaign. Feel free to use it or and or adapt it. And if you have any questions, then just send them to me by email or forum chat. And that's it for another episode. This one is a little longer than the other, so I hope you have made your endurance rolls and got to the end without losing any fatigue. Remember, you can catch up with the rest of my content by searching Inwills on the internet. If you are new to Mythras, then don't forget to check out my rules videos on YouTube, as well as the actual play videos. And you can catch us live every Saturday night at 1900 hours BST on Twitch. Just add Inwills to the end of it. Thank you for all your support. I really do appreciate it. And if you would like to go one step further, then... Hint, there is a link to my Patreon page in the show notes. 
So until next month, let's hope that all our opposed roles succeed and provide us with a well-earned special. Have a great month of gaming, everyone, and I will chat again in October. See ya. content of this podcast is covered by the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. So please give appropriate credit if you are sharing or copying any part of this podcast. Thank you.